Hey guys, my name is Alec, and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. Thanks everybody who listened to my last episode on Wizard Barristers. I know that was an odd episode, and if you're interested in that show, I didn't talk much about that show, but it's kind of a mediocre show, so it's okay. Um, but I talked about the creator, who I've weirdly followed for a lot of my anime viewing. And, um, so, yeah, that that was that was last week, and I don't really have much to say here, because I've been busy working, and Dexter has taken over my life. If you ever, if you ever seen Dexter, that Showtime show about serial killers, about uh, the serial killer, what kills serial killers, I've, I've been watching a lot of that, and having a lot of thoughts about that, weirdly. But I also had a thought about the thing that I'm going to talk about on this episode. I don't know if you noticed, but um, this episode title will end up being different than a lot of the other titles in the feed. It will be something akin to, let's say, my... Like a, like a cross between my, like, industry explainer um, episodes I did basically over my vacation, um, where I technically wasn't here, but I pushed a button on my phone that said publish, and those things published, um, and my, um, episode on ecchi anime, if you've heard that, if you haven't heard that, it's somewhere in the feed, I'm really happy I did it, and I'm doing this particular episode because I have some stuff to say that was brought up in my mind by a specific show and will actually loop around to the Etchy show eventually um, in this podcast, probably pretty quickly. But um, without further ado, let's kind of jump into it. So, what I want to talk about here is actually about a a trend that has occurred in anime that is probably best kind of solidified by by, um, Madoka Magica, but is kind of being carried by um, Spec Ops Magical Girl Asuka right now, and like, you're probably thinking, oh, he's going to talk about the deconstruction magical girl, the, like, way that the industry has taken the kind of form that was perfected by Sailor Moon, and it's, like, proceeding to fuck with it constantly, and I, that is true, that is totally true, but what I really want to talk about more, and what I'm think is more interesting is the kind of grimdark take on these shows that leads them to feel like they are I don't think that leads them to feel kind of unbalanced I I guess is the best way to put it so I noticed this with um, Spec Ops Asuka and I am reserving the right I think I might actually do an episode on Spec Ops Asuka. Um, but I'm reserving the right to talk about that show again, but I'm going to talk about it some here, especially since that show isn't over yet, and I try and wait until a show's over before I talk about it. Um, because I think that gives you a better... that gives me, and therefore you, the listener, a better feel for the show. If I'm talking about it less like I'm in the middle of it, which probably means I will never talk about, um, with the exception, actually, of talking about shows like My Hero Academia, or Boruto, or Naruto, or any of the big, like, long-running shonen properties that look like they'll be around for decades. I'm like, I don't, I'm not about the lifestyle, I don't have time for that. I want to, I want to talk about those shows, because they do... They do what lots of shows do in whole seasons, in like single arcs, because they don't they don't break down their 
shows into even seasons because there's no point. They just keep going endlessly. And lots of times that turns into things like, we have to do another tournament arc because that's what this show is good at, which is what happened, unfortunately, to Yu show. The dark tournament arc was so good that they're like, we're out of story again. Let's just do another tournament. <laughs> um, And also... You can actually go watch Super Eyepatch Wolf's video on Yu Hakusho. Uh, he has at least one called Why You Should Watch Yu Hakusho. But I think... Actually, I think it's called Why I Love Yu Hakusho. And he talks about the kind of like slow breakdown of the manga of the manga cop behind that... The original manga for that show. And it explains a lot of why the story kind of, like, takes a weird, floaty turn at one point in the manga and the show. But what I want to talk about specifically with shows like, um, not Madoka Magica, which I've only seen part of, actually, which I know lots of people start screaming at their listening devices and or podcast apps or whatever and think like that's a crime you should watch all of it and I'll get there I promise but what I really want to talk about is like with these grim dark what I'm going to call grim dark shows there's a tendency to want to treat the characters like trash and I I can't get away from the feeling that that doesn't make for a good show. So, to um give you two contrasting examples. Um, in, there was a show last year that I couldn't make it through because it was too grimdark to treat the character like trash called Magical Girl Sight. And in Magical Girl Sight, this, it starts off with this girl who is tortured by classmates who is, like, straight-up tortured by tra classmates. Like, there's bullying, and then there's torture. There's a thin line, but we can straight-up just call shit torture at some point, and that's what was happening in this show. And so she's approached by a website, basically, and says, you want to be a magical girl? And she's like, this is fucking weird. I'm gonna go and get, I shit you not, beat, my, beat by my father and raped by my brother. And then get bullied some more? Like, like this show, start, like, episode one, from the gate, is like, what if we treated the main character of this like worthless dog shit? And then it quickly turns into, like, she becomes a magical girl with this other girl, and they, like, murder a bunch of people with magical girl powers. And, um, another, another variation of, like, the kind of grim, dark show is something like Mirai Nikki, which I made it most, of, which I made it through a lot of. I have a hard time making it through these shows for, re for the reason of, I, I, it's very easy for me to get attached to characters and get, and get attached to a story. It does. It really doesn't take much. It, like the show, your show can be pretty garbage, but it's got to be real garbage for me to be like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm not into this. And the problem with these shows is they treat the characters like such trash on some level or another. It's not always the same. Like it's not always the main character treated like trash. In the in Mirai Nikki, they use the, I forget the character's name, but they use the, like, main female character as this, like, yandere mur murder machine, and she is just, like, it's just not entertaining to watch that for me very long. And I imagine that a lot of people not aren't, like, made queasy by it. It's just that... There are so many good things to watch, unless you're really in the mood for trash, 
Why are you going to sit there and watch stuff that's not as good as something else you could be watching? I mean, case in point, I just got a really nice poster. It's actually a replacement for a poster I had when I was younger of Princess Monoki, a amazing film that treats all of its characters with, like, serious dignity and respect, even the fucking evil ones. And, it, it, like, it's a, like, if you haven't seen Princess Monoki, uh, you can listen to the tragedy of a podcast that I recorded on it because I'm such a fanboy for that movie that I couldn't get a word out without sounding like I'm, like, have the, the Mono, Princess Monoki encyclopedia in front of me, like, looking shit up. But um, you can listen to that podcast, or you can just go watch that movie. I highly suggest if you haven't seen Princess Monoki, go watch it. Without, without question. Don't look it up. Don't look up the plot. Just go watch that movie. I saw it in theaters. That was one of the highlights of my life. I didn't see it in theaters when it came out in like the early '90s. I saw it later, in like a couple months ago, I think, in New York when they played it for Ghibli Fest, and I like I had a transcendental experience. <laughs> That's how much I fucking love that movie. But so there's like there's stuff of that quality out there. Why are you going to waste your time? Was a story that builds up, builds up, builds up, builds up, and then bam, starts treating its characters like trash, or always does. And more often than not, it's always does. It's like they have an interesting concept that they're messing with, but that, but then there's also the fact that the characters, lots of times female characters, are just like abused in some way or another. Um, so, contrast shows like those to show, to a show like, um, what's, to, to a show like Black Lagoon, where they have ample opportunity to treat Revy like, just, either like, a worthless, good-for-nothing trash human, or like, sex on a stick. And that show, that the people who made that show know what makes it fucking badass. And it's not that you tune in and you see this, like, hot chick in jean shorts and a black tank top get abused. It's that you tune in and you see her fucking shoot people in the head and be really good at it and express the kind of shameless no remorseness that you see of not just bad guys, but like male bad guys, and she is awesome. And then they introduce a character like Rock, who clearly she has romantic feelings towards, and clearly that's like a reciprocal two-way street. And then in the se- in like the second, I'm gonna call it the second season of the show. In Roberta's Blood Trail, they get into why Revy is who she is, the way that like she was formed as a person, the kind of uh, and spoiler alert for Roberta's Blood Trail and Black Lagoon in general. But they get into the fucked up shit that happened to her. They get into the fact that she was a orphan who was sexually abused by the police in New York City, which is like a, a, a way you can put a story together you're like, oh fuck, this was bad. And there's also implicated that she killed her abuser along with somehow her parents because they abused her in either the same way or a different way. And but by making, by giving her that path and adding it up to, like, real aggression towards the world and real, quite frankly, hatred of, like, the kind of, like, tightly wound 
proper kind of people that Rock used to walk among amongst. They ground it and they make it real and they make it they make it something that you as the viewer have to take in and like your reaction is the same as a reaction to like what what you would encounter in real life. You feel like, man, why is that girl so pissed? And if somebody said that, like told you those circumstances, you'd be like, oh. That's why she's pissed. Yeah, that that's okay. That like that it's not okay that that happens, but you you understand you understand the reaction. And it's just really so that's the, the way that even if you don't realize it lots of times you want a character like that to be written. And then you have shows like Spec Ops Oscar. And the thing with this show is it's got such a great premise. It's got an idea that makes like that doesn't make I'm not gonna say it makes sense. I'm not gonna de decify that, but I'm gonna say that it has an idea that you could do really interesting things with and then it proceeds to attempt to do them, and I appreciate it for that reason. But then there's the problem of this show, and that's the fact that it it it's abusive in a way that uh, uh, it's hard to put a finger on unless you see it. And what I mean by that is it's a show where it so to give you an idea. It's a show where it takes these high school girls and it makes them kill things. And yes, that's like a billion other shows in anime. Yes, that's like Gunslinger Girls. Yes, that's even like Madoka Magica. But the thing about... The thing specifically about Spec Ops Asuka that gets to me is that they... They try to do more with it than, not than they need to, because I think that they're doing the right amount, but they, they, they take these characters of such strength and such conviction, and they constantly do their best to just rip the rug out from under them. Um, uh, Another show that actually does this, I also talked about in this podcast, in in this pod on this podcast before, is a show called Tenjo Tenge. And in ten, but in Tenjo Tenge, they have this balance between the male and the female characters, and just because the the writer, the original writer of Tenjo Tenge is one of my favorite manga artist of all time, the guy named Ograte, and he, I'm convinced he's one of those, like, Taikobu, who just wants to draw cool shit, he just needs somebody to pay him, but he also, but unlike Taikobu, he's really into, like, the lore and story of his stuff, and that's oftentimes what saves the, like, the way his stories kind of end up. And the other thing that saves Tenjo Tenge is, like, yes, it's ultra, like, the female characters are ultra-sexualized, and, like, they're ultra-ogled, basically. But they're also, super, like, they're also, A, aware of it, which doesn't make it better, but they are aware of, like, the they, they are aware... The male gaze is there, and then they are staring back at it, straight face, being like, yeah, uh-huh. And, the, and you might be like, why are you talking about male gaze, and then also trying to hook it back to 
Spec Ops Asuka, and that's because of the character, the first character, where you're like, oh, it's really going to be this kind of show, isn't it? I think her name is Kurumi, and she is just the typical, like, I'm a high schooler with tits that sit out three feet from my, from the, from my rib cage, and my, my, and when she transforms to, like, her magical girl outfit, it's just a sexy nurse outfit with just, like, maxim, maximum cleavage possible, and her still be covered, and it, it's, the thing about the thing that really separates a show like shows like Tenjo Tenge and Air Gear from shows like Queen's Blade and Spec Ops Asuka, which I know which I'll get to Queen's Blade in a fucking second, is that the characters in Ogre's in both of Ogre's shows feel like they're aware and attempting to be sexy to some degree. I mean, you see characters in um, Tenjo Tenge, you see Bob and his, I forget his girlfriend's name. She's a, like a bit side character, kind of. They straight up bang. <laughs> like, in in Tenjo Tenge, in the manga, I'm pretty. I think it's even a cover. The cover of them just having sex, like in a, in a suggestive way, where you're like, "This is artful," but it's definitely just them getting it on. And it feels less like in those instances and in the instances of both of those shows where there's like sexual stuff happening. For as much as it is anime and much as that stuff is there, it feels less lurid and more like the camera is there and life is just happening. But in a show like Spec Ops Asuka and a show like Queen's Blade and a show and a franchise like Queen's Blade, quite frankly, and a show like um, Magical Girl Sight. It doesn't just feel lurid, it feels predatory, and it feels so intentional that you start to ask questions in your head of, like, what, like, what, what's with the creators of this property? Like, why are they so, the, the question I end up asking for a show like Oscar, like, Spec Ops specifically, is why are they, why do they so have it in for women? And I didn't really, and part of the thing that made me want to do this podcast was the most recent episode, was actually the episode, um, I think it was a week before, where they have a new character who's this character who, and spoiler for Spec Ops Asuka, but if you're watching this show, you've already seen this by now, but, um, this character, I think her name is Abby, or her her magical girl name is I think Whiplash Abby, but um, she she gets there's a car accident where drunk driver kill her mom and in the process destroy her left leg or uh, right leg I think it is right leg, and so she's confined to a wheelchair. And her father, like, backslides into drugs, drinking, and gambling. And this, this, so, so, this is, honestly, honestly, this is the real reason that, like, I, like, my brain skipped a beat. And I, like, fell out of anime watching mode. And, like, started paying attention. Because bootleg... Serial numbers filed off motherfucking evil Alphonse Elric shows up. Like, 
a tin, full-on tin suit Alphonse in a fucking tracksuit. It's just like, hey, want to be an evil magical girl? <laughs> it's... Uh, so, if you haven't... If you haven't seen Spec Ops Asuka, I recommend watching the past two episodes, or maybe even three episodes, because bootleg Alphonse is so fucking weird. It's so weird to see somebody be like, what if we made Alphonse, but he looked kind of like the Nirvash? What if that was a thing? But, um, aside from that, which is more than a little infuriating, honestly, to be like, why you gotta drag Alphonse's, like, basically character design into this thing? Except, what's, okay, so, what's, I know I'm getting off track, but it's just so weird to see something that is so clearly ripping off something better than it in such a blatant way, it amazes me. The thing about Alphonse is Alphonse is, like, designed and thought about and, like, they're like, we're not, we're never going to cover him with, like, if they were writing rules about how the character was going to be presented in Full Metal Alchemist for Alphonse, I imagine they would write a rule, like, he can never be covered unless he's broken. Because the only time they ever cover him up is when he's, like, just broken. Is <laughs> when, um, I think it's after Scar, like, basically rips him a new one, destroys out half of Alphonse's body, and, like, destroys Ed's arm. They put a tarp over Alphonse just to keep the excess metal in, and, like, they, they, like, go back to have him, to have Alpha, Ed's, um, arm repaired so he can fix Alphonse and that thing. But, <laughs> so just think, just think of Alphonse with, but instead of his head, have, like, the Nirvash's head with, like, weird, like, bad clip art style teal wings off the side of it and some yellow highlights but like put that head onto like a buff tracksuit body <laughs> and that is that fucking I forget the character name I don't even know if they've given him a name but he basically he shows up he killed Abby's dad and then he's like hey Want to be a mag evil magical girl? I I'll train you. And they proceed to train her. But the thing is, is like the space between her getting her leg crushed and the dad, you're led to believe is basically years. Like, at, at least a year. And the way you're introduced to her is her dad is trying to... I don't know if you're trying to sell her or just straight up whore her out to this, like, Kabukicho fucking brothel where he's like, I mean, she, she, she she's only missing a leg. Her mouth still works. You're just like, I, so I should be clear. Up until this point, the worst, like, most lurid part of this show has been... Actually, that's not true. They had a whole torture scene with a girl and her underwear. But, most, like, most of the lurid grossness and gross, like, creepy grim darkness of this show has been in context or just Kurumi's cleavage just, like, very prominently in the shot. And, like, those scenes make you feel kind of dirty, but they also... But, like, the scenes where there's, like, female torture, like, torturing of female high school girls happening, at least they try and, like, loosely set up some context, maybe. And also, like, I... So, 
when you show up to, like, this drunkard fucking dad trying to whore out his daughter to a whore out his underage daughter to a brothel, and even the brothel owner gives him, like, this reply that's like, I don't get into that shit anymore. Maybe you've gotten to me last year. But no. Um, we should also, like, fuck you. Creepy brothel fucking asshole. And... The whole... And then they go back to this fucking trash department with trash bags piled everywhere. And the dad just proceeds to literally kick the shit out of his own daughter. And you're like, oh! At at that point, I'm like, this show took a fucking dark turn. What the fuck? What the fuck? And also, so, like, later on, they kind of weave it, they seem to weave it together with who you believe is the main villain of this show, but they, like, they loosely weave it together in a way that it's, like, very child-soldier-y and bad and disgusting. And they, like, the show has, the, has um, bootleg Alphonse basically emotionally manipulate this girl into being a fucking murderer and being a homicidal maniac for him. It's just like... The the thing about shows that take place in, like, with, like, an underworld setting or, like, like like, a dark element to them, like, and... Many shows that do this are very good, are a very good, very thought that sought after, and like really, ex- like really excellent properties. Um, shows that have the same kind of atmosphere are actually like Alita, the live action movie just came out. I did a podcast on it. You can check it out in the podcast feed, um, if you haven't already. But that movie does a very good job of like creating a dark atmosphere with a female with a female main character who's totally in control. The manga is actually better than the movie or the anime about like making it very clear like she's got this shit covered. Um Ghost in the Shell, the especially Ghost in the Shell standalone complex gets into a lot more of like the like underworldiness of, like, dealing with crime and cybercrime, and the major is a fucking badass in that. Um, the live-action movie, you can also, you can listen to a thing about the live-action movie in this podcast in which me and my actual cousin Danny just (laughs) dump shit on that movie for, like, an hour. Um, but, and also, even a show like, um, and I mentioned this in the episode with Alan, even a show like, um, Gundam Iron, like, Iron Blood, like, Iron Blooded Orphan, the Gundam show that ended last year, uh, even a show like that knows that, like, you can get the point of, like, kid, of A, people being abused and be kids being abused without being so like fetishistic about it. And that's really what I think what I get the sense from in shows like Mirai Nikki and shows like Magical Girl Sight and shows like um what was that? There's a show with a retain about a retainer that turned people into slaves. I forget what it was called. Fuck. It was on Amazon. God damn it. Um, a show like that. A show like, like, Spec Ops Asuka. 
where, like, that... That grimdark thing can get taken to, like, a really fetishistic level, and that's okay. That's, like, the way to do that where you're, like, you're kind of riveted, and you're kind of, like, and it's, like, it, it, it all fits in. If you look at, at, if you actually look at Roberta's blood trail, the other kind of side of that coin in that part of, in that season of Black Lagoon is... Roberta as, like, this force of murder and chaos and this force of, like, weird sexual violence just roaming Rowenapar, ripping people apart. And even um, the vampire twins arc in the original show and parts of the Yakuza arc, like, that kind of, like, weird sexuality mixed with violence is in that show, but because they handle it better and because they present it as this, like, outside thing that doesn't happen all the time, unlike it's starting to feel in Spec Ops Asuka, or it's certainly felt in a show like um Magical Girl Sight or even a show or definitely a show like Queen Slave where the violence starts with okay let's just like that show starts with like okay here's a badass fight between two female warriors where one is using the hands that are also her hair to squeeze her boobs I shoot you not if you've never seen this show to shoot out acid from her boobs onto the other, onto her opponent's armor, and that her opponent's armor melts off to also show her boobs and basically everything else except she's wearing panties because this isn't hentai, right? And it's just like, but but the thing that separates Queen's Blade even from something like Magical Girl's Sight is. Queen's Blade is just like, okay, if we're gonna do this, if we're gonna fucking do this, there's only one way that we do this and it's appropriate. <laughs> or any kind of appropriate. It, it, is that if we just commit. And we commit completely and entirely and like... You know, like, if somebody says, like, I'm gonna go home and watch some Queen's Blade, you know what that means. <laughs> but if somebody says, I'm gonna go home and watch the Magical Girl site, and you've never seen it, you're like, what Magical Girl site? And, like, that show has a reputation now, but before it had a reputation, people were just coming back like, whoa! Whoa! That was fucking dark and weird and it made me feel bad but not in like a way I want to keep watching and that's the thing so there was another show that was akin to Queen Blade and shows like Queen Blade pop up every now and then called um I think it was the, the first season first season was called Seven Deadly Sins the second um season was called Seven he the Seven Heavenly. I forget what the second season was called, but watch the whole first season is my point. And this show is basically like, let's just ramp up these like sex on a stick characters for like in every episode. Just in every episode, it's just gonna be like, hey, look at boobs and butts for like the next half hour, and it. It had such a bizarre... In the same way that Queen's Blade has this property, and such a bizarre, like, lack of shame that it turned into, like, being weirdly entertaining. Because it it knew what it was, it was okay with what it was, it was a show that was very clearly, like, like built around, okay, we're gonna eventually sell 
sexy figures of all these characters, we might as well just go for it. Um, but it it just like so it just kind of went for it, and that's the that's the real thing is I'm not saying like you can't have borderline hentai shows. I'm not saying that like the sexual violenceness of shows is inherently bad, but what I'm saying is that the, the shows that do it and do it well have this basic respect for their characters and have this basic and and, and know that you as a viewer have this basic respect for their character and they're like, hey, don't worry, like, don't worry about these characters, they are, they're in their element, it's, like, this, this is abusive because abuse exists in the world, not because we're pumping it in through the vents, if that makes any sense. So, like, um, the Revy storyline I brought up earlier, that, like, when you look at that storyline... And when you put all the stuff that you've been told about her path up until that point together, you realize why she is where she is, and you realize why her relationship to the man she loves, which it's no doubt Rock, is the way it is, and you realize why the way why they are the way they are together and towards other people and it all falls into place. There are arguments that can be made that say, like, in Magical Girl Society, especially, like, this is why this girl went off the deep end. Um, like, that's what that whole first episode is about. But, that's the cheap and easy way to do it. That is the cheap and easy way to do that concept. I realize the anime is expensive, and you only have so much budget, and I get it. But not only is it the cheap and easy way, it's the worst way, because you're not giving you're not giving the viewer time to digest that stuff. You're not giving the viewer, like, a sense of that, that a sense of the story is unfolding. You're just hitting them one after another, after another, after another time, with just, like, all of this information, all of this badness, and it's just like, and then you're like, well, do you feel bad for this little girl? Here's, now she has a magical gun, shaped like something from Platoon, and she can make people turn to fucking space dust. And that, 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 that's like, that's like watching, a, hilariously, that's like watching an episode of Dexter. Because if you haven't seen Dexter, um, I have seen three seasons of it now. I have a problem. Um, <laughs> and the first step to solving a problem is admitting you have a problem. But um, that show is about a serial killer who grew up predisposed to be a serial killer, but he had a cop dad who was like, no, you you can't, like, embrace what they call your dark passenger. You have to, like, restrain it. Or, and he goes, or you use it to kill other killers. And so Dexter takes to doing just that. He, like, he works for the police department, and he kills other killers, and that show makes you root for the bad guy in his show, in that show, because he is the bad guy. He is the bad guy, the protagonist. But it makes you root against these, like, characters who are serial killers. And But it doesn't give these serial killers any, any personality. It just says, like, okay, this guy's a killer. He kills this way. Dexter gonna kill him. Uh, except for when they get to um, Ramon. Um, um, uh, the, the prosecutor character, basically. And he turns into, like, a serial killer pretty quickly. 
drop of a hat, boom. And it's just like, it, it, that's the part of it that shows that felt weird, weirdest for me because it's so unlike that show. That show, Dexter at its best, I think so far is I haven't gotten to the whole thing, so who knows? But is at its best when like the serial killers are. Like, these kind of one-offs where you're like, oh, Dexter gonna kill the bad guy. Or, when it's, like, deeply personal and, like, the person has done some deep wrongs and you're like, this motherfucker has to go. Like the, um, like the ice truck killer from the first episode, from the first season. And it's just... The... the these like grim dark shows that I I've that have been around for a long time. Trust me, they don't they don't manage the balance well. They don't say they don't have the same level of character development and um and bad stuff happening for it to like even out and feel real. It feels like you're watching someone's nightmares about the bad things that happened to them. Because remember when I told you that Whiplat, that the that girl Abby who had her right leg crushed by a car, is has the shit kicked out of her dad after he can't sell it to a whorehouse. Um, there's no, you you're told that there's been a period of time where it's stretched out. But instead of making that setup earlier in the show, because I mean, I think it's at episode five. I think it's at episode eight now. Instead of making that setup at like episode two, and then like checking in with that character over and over and over again, and seeing like seeing the decline for yourself and understanding it, all of that stuff. It's, like, crammed into, like, one episode. Maybe. It might be one half of one episode. Or, like, the last section of an episode. And that stuff, like, that, that like, it could be a year that's crammed into that. And that, all that stuff, it, it lacks the sufficient amount of time to either the character or the trauma, so to speak, for you to connect to it. So it's just like, it's just what lots of people would call misery porn. And you have to be really careful how you use misery porn in anything, or else it can just turn your audience off. And I'm not saying I'm not going to keep watching Asuka, because I said this to Alan off, off mic, after we finished our Gundam, after we finished our um, Gundam GT um, conversation, but I watch black. I watch Black Clover week to week, and I fucking hate that show. <laughs> I I I really don't like Black Clover. I I. If I can't tell what twist is coming, the twist is too stupid for me to care when it happens. I, that show, regardless of anybody who's like, no, Black Clover is good. Black Clover is not good. Don't let people convince you Black Clover is good. I have a whole episode in this show very early on in this podcast about how Black Clover is bad and you shouldn't watch it. <laughs> you should not reward Black Clover for what it's trying to do. <laughs> at all. Even though I do, because I'm damaged somehow, I guess. Because every Monday morning, I wake up, I open up my iPad, in bed, in motherfucking bed, and I'm like, hey, you know what I should do? Watch some Black Clover. Oh, God damn it. Um, but that, and that show has the same kind of hollow problem as, as a lot of the Grimdark shows I mentioned. Again, Magical Girl site. Um, 
Magic Girl site, um, Spec Ops Asuka, Mirai Nikki, is that once you've seen a lot of those kinds of shows, or, or even once you've seen those shows handled well, those kinds of shows handled well, like, um, the scenes of, um, the scenes, it, like, all the stuff they handle really well in something like Black Lagoon, or even in something like Tenjo Tenge, when it had the opportunity, when it takes the opportunity to, like, do that kind of stuff. Um, when you see that stuff handled in a, in a very least an interesting way, the kind of standard putting all the puzzle pieces together just doesn't, doesn't really cut it. And it's, it just, it's, it's, I know this has been a long stream consciousness, and I've, like, dragged, um, Spec Ops Asuka through the mud, um, and I still want to talk about that show ultimately, but I, I think it's a 25 episode show, so it might be a while, but, I, I, I just, I thought that it was interesting, because, The, the kind of, like, grimdark, the kind of, like, bad grimdark show qualities are never, like, these breakout hit shows, usually. They're usually just these shows that happen and then go away. Another show that, um, does this a lot is, ah, oh, fuck, what's that show? Tanya the Evil. Tanya the Evil. Does, like has that grim dark shit down pat and I watched that oh fucking goddamn lowly Nazi show and that does it even worse because it's like it's so Tanya the Evil and then I'm probably gonna wrap it up after I go through Tanya the Evil because I just like I gotta I gotta get this out and I don't know if I can do a whole episode on Tanya the Evil because I can't in the year of our lord 2019 watch a show about tiny Aryan, but little little Aryan girl Nazis. Um, that whole show stands on three pillars. First, the like relentless depictions of just like being a Nazi. An actual Nazi. Um, second, the, like, fetishization of military action. Third, fucking murdering people. And, like, murdering people with a kind of glee and satisfaction that is like, oh, uh, Ah, fuck, no, goddamn, and I remember, so this is the other thing about these shows, is that these shows are usually super popular, or have, enjoy, like, a certain immediate popularity when they're out, but they also fade from popularity pretty quickly once they're done. Now, Tony the Evil, I know, is getting a movie, I'm probably gonna have to watch that movie, because I need to know, um, but... I like, um, Magical Girl site was talked was talked about like gangbusters for a while there and then disappeared. Tony the Evil was super popular, which as a mixed race disabled brain cancer survivor really unnerved me because I, I as a mixed race disabled brain cancer survivor with a Jewish last name was like Okay, we might need to have a go bag. We might need to have a go bag and be prepared to, like, live life on some sort of secluded situation at some point because that's not okay. Not okay that the Nazi show is popular. Although, you know, seeing as that was in 2016, we know how America went that year. <laughs> But, um, it's just, it's 
just these shows. I I just find it interesting that all of these shows and this kind of like grim, dark thing that happens with these shows doesn't help them along. Like it, because. But not because of the grim darkness themselves, obviously. Even shows like Gangsta, which ended as a hot dumpster fire, have this handling of the premise and, like, the darkness and the, like, underworld quality of that show. Um, I also did a podcast on that show. Um, you can find it in the um, podcast, in this podcast episode feed. Um... Even that show has this, like, grim, dark premise and feel to it that even at its worst moments, it does a really adept job at handling. And I I think that if, like, it, if you look at the creative teams of these shows, of shows like, um, of shows like Gangsta, of shows like Black Lagoon, of shows like, I talked about the show two episodes ago, um, um, Hakata Ramens, they, shows like Durara, uh, I mean, there's a lot of shows with this kind of feel to them, with this kind of, like, feel of, like, underground, hidden away, crime, paramilitariness to them that don't go bad because they have such exemplary writing staff that they that know what they're doing that know how to handle not just the premise but the characters within the premise and I think probably what happens is creators is other creators see shows like all of those shows like they see a show like Gangsta, and they see a show like Black Lagoon, and they think to themselves, "If we can just make a fraction of that, then the show, then we'll make a really good show, at, or at the very least, a really sellable show." Because that's the other thing: it's like these shows have to sell at some point. Like you have to be able to sell somebody on a script, on an adaptation, on a concept, on anything. Just the way TV works. So if we can do something that lets us be able to say, oh, it's like Madoka Magica, but set in the real world and with like a military aesthetic, I can totally see that um, that was a pitch to an editor about Spec Ops Asuka. And if that's just the pitch, that's a great pitch. But that's only a short sentence premise. It's not the meat and bones of it. And once you get in the meat and bones of it, you have to be pretty skilled to be able to write something that holds up and doesn't make the viewer doesn't get so abusive towards the characters that it takes the viewer out of it and causes the viewer to ask, what are we doing here? Are we like why is the why is this so why is this so abusive to his characters? What what does the writer of these characters have against them? Um now another way to go with it is to make it so spun out of control and insane that it feels bad to watch, but it still it still works because it it honestly feels like the characters are doing it are doing this shit to themselves, like and that's the best example of that I can give is a show's called is a show called Scum's Wish, where it's like these characters are just like they're going out every day they're waking up and they're like how can I fuck my life up more how can I cause myself more emotional pain today in one day than most people cause themselves in a year. And so that was kind of my stream consciousness about the like grim dark fetishistic 
fetishized sexual violent kind sexual violence kind of show. Um, I hope you like this episode. This is not I'm well aware this was not a normal episode. Normally I try and focus in on one show, um, or one movie or what have you. I just had these thoughts and I wanted to put them out somehow. Um, but I didn't have these thoughts obviously organized in a way that would go into an article easily, which is why I didn't write them down. Um, but if you like this show, you can go over to um, lunchboxpublishing.com, where a lot of the episodes live. I have to update it, but a lot of other stuff lives. And um, you can also subscribe to this show on your pod catcher of choice and leave me a five-star rating. That really helps the show. Um, but until next time, I have been Alex. You've been listening to Lunchbox Radio. And I'll talk at you later.